2: Hello, and welcome to the Gagging Pressing Podcast. Uh, welcome to another episode of the German Football Show. And as you may have already noticed, Mario Vett is not here. He's still on his holidays. Uh, we did manage to peel him away from the sunshine and joy and success of, of Hawaii. Uh, to do a quick video on our YouTube channel after Saturday's game. So if you want to hear his opinions on what we're about to spend the next 40 minutes talking about, uh, you can definitely get it over there. Um, but for now, Manu's enjoying the last kind of few hours of paradise before he has to return to Vancouver and German football. Uh, but as ever, I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Ford and our super sub, uh, Seb Stafford Bloor, uh, two weeks in a row now. Um, this January signing is working out quite well for us. Uh, uh, we're getting our money's worth
1: sure are like it's what it's it's 11 days into february and already two appearances i know
2: it's like one of those kind of january loan deals that turns into a permanent move eventually because like the striker (laughs) you're replacing (laughs) never quite recovers from his injury you're the you're (laughs) the the boy at iglesias maybe of the uh the gig impressing podcast
1: man event never to return to vancouver properly <laughs>
0: he's, he's the he's the Josip stanisic to the gig impressing oh. <laughs>
2: timely. very timely very timely does that make manu sasha Bowie? i don't know um matt you're of course here how are you doing you uh you were of course at the game which we'll dump, jump into in uh finer detail in a moment but uh how how did you manage how did you get on uh getting through the carnival crowds and
0: getting to and from the game yeah uh, it was okay and um, i've got my hat ready for tomorrow for the for the big the big uh Rosenmontag parade. So that's all that's really a carnival's in full swing. And uh nowhere nowhere more so than Leverkusen, I think. Düsseldorf famous for Carnival, Cologne famous for Carnival, Mainz, maybe even Koblenz. Just uh Leverkusen less so, but uh the biggest party in town this weekend. It really was a um and yeah, potentially historic day in, in Leverkusen.
2: Yeah, I was saying to someone uh, just as the game was finishing up that uh, if Leverkusen actually had any decent bars, they'd be full of fans uh, celebrating like there was no tomorrow. But such a thing does not exist. Believe me, I've I've went looking for them once or twice over the years. Um, so I'm sure they probably took the short trade into Cologne. Um, but yeah, we've got plenty to discuss, guys. Um, of course, with a huge breakdown of this game, uh, and we'll talk about it right after this break. It's playoff time and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. And our partner, BetOnline, is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything, from the coin toss to the colour of Gatorade. BetOnline is the number one source for your championship wagering. Head to BetOnline, enjoy today to get all the action. BetOnline, the game starts here. So yeah, Bayern Leverkusen 3, Bar Munich 0. Uh, guys, we've got so much to talk about. Um, I want to shine a light on Jabi Alonso and the amazing work he's done at uh, Leverkusen. But I think first and foremost, we really have to touch on how Barn Munich and Thomas Tuchel in particular approached this game. Um, Seb, it seems fair to me to say that it was quite an unorthodox lineup. It was a back three. Um, we had uh, Sasha Bowie uh, as a left back. Um, you know, Kimick missing, uh, obviously through injury or um, fitness issues. So a kind of, you know, ad hoc midfield as well. And, you know, there's there's a lot of factors that go into these games and these performances, especially at this level where the margins are so small. But I think a lot of Barn fans probably walked away from that game thinking the club almost kind of shot themselves in the foot before a ball had been kicked.
1: Yeah, it was interesting as well because Tiggle kind of doubled down on it afterwards, Stefan and said, well, no, I picked the same team again. And if you look at the pattern of that game, I remember seeing the, the Bayern lineup and thinking that's asking an awful lot of right, like, to be the kind of the platform because Greska to me, Gretzka is an eight. He needs a, an orchestrator behind him. He needs a kind of a stable base. And I don't feel like Pavlovic is quite experienced enough to have provided that good player that he he's clearly going to become. Um, and everything looked very awkward and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the sasha Bowie decision because goodness he looked awkward out on the left he just he looked because i mean at times he had obviously stanisic playing against him but Teller drifting out wide as well and everywhere you looked in that Bayern side there was disconnection space uh and it was it was remarkably easy like for leverkusen to play through them i think when like, when you have a game like that which has been anticipated for months you expect it to be a little bit cagey even though we know how Leverkusen play you expect a little bit of inhibition and yet there was none of that it was so easy um, to the point where it was actually quite shocking um, and then so when Tickle kind of refuses to sort of acknowledge okay maybe like even though he clearly wasn't fit Kimmich might have been the better option there Guerrero you could have played as a kind of a sick potentially just for a bit of experience uh, it just it was a, an absolute mess yeah,
2: What do you think about the decision to play Dyer at Central Defence? Because, you know, I, I took one look at that lineup. I was actually doing some TV work go, uh, ahead of the game, and I was on camera before we went live, and the lineups literally came in like 30 seconds before we went on, and I had the producer in my ear saying, what do you think of that lineup? But I had it looked at on my phone, and I, I couldn't make heads or tails of it, to be perfectly honest with you. It's just... Obviously, they do these things like in a uh, numerical order. So you're trying to like add up the central defenders and fullbacks, and the only kind do- of doing
1: a bit of TV producer in my ear. Who is this? Who is <laughs> this that we're talking to tonight? International Bundesliga pundit
2: uh, extraordinaire. Just, well, uh, can only few- that the,
0: the exa- Exactly the same conversations were taking place in the uh, in the in the media center at, at the at the when the when the the team dropped. I found myself as well. Yeah, in, in a Packed media centre looking down that line, i thinking that's that looks like five at the back, looks like a back three, looks like potentially Eric Dyer in a sort of um sweeper libero role. And yeah, so it so it proved. He, the thinking behind Tuchel's cool decision was to go, yeah, to, to match Leverkusen's five at the back, but of course, Alonso Alonso himself had made the change to, to far at the back, which immediately rendered that um problematic. And then, yeah, as it as it then developed throughout the first half. Seb's already mentioned how out of place uh Sasha looked, thought he looked solid against back when he came on for his debut. But he was in his favourite position at right back. I was sat next to a colleague from the Munich, uh, Arben Zeitung, and he was a, she said straight away, if, before the ball was kicked, but he, out, you know, away from his favourite position, this is potentially problematic. And as it proved, um, you mentioned him being up against um, Stanisic, and Teller at times, and they actually double teamed to at one point. I think down by the touchline, they, they they literally teamed up on him physically to to win the ball. So that was that was problematic all the way through. Eric Dyer gave the ball away in several dangerous occasions. You know, it, it, trying to open play, trying to launch Bayern's build up, and balls were going astray. There were longer balls where he clearly wasn't on the same wavelength with either um with either Kim Minjay or uh, Berway on the left it didn't work from start to finish. And then as we might go on to it in a sec later, Tuchel didn't change to half time either, which was also which was also baff, also baffling.
2: Yeah. The weird thing I found as well that the the, the, the baffling context of all this is that he's got a perfectly good left back sitting on the bench in Guerrero. You know, it's not as if obviously Davies is missing, which is one of the best left backs in the world, um, left wing back, whatever you want to call him. Um and obviously no one's going to do the job that Davies did, but Guerrero's a player who's been doing that job admittedly rather inconsistently for Dortmund over the years but there's a reason that they signed him and I think I said uh, to Manu on the on the video we did on YouTube after the game they didn't sign Guerrero to be a number six they signed him because he could obviously fill in a left back when necessary um, of course he can play number six and He did a decent job of that for Dortmund last season but Seb I mean I, I Am I maybe overthinking this and thinking, you know, this is it was almost Mourinho esque and like that kind of obtuse kind of decision to play a stubborn start in eleven just to kind of bite your tongue or, or bite your thumb at the the board almost, you know, to say, Well, you guys have you guys have signed me this left back, but he's not good enough. So I'm gonna play this right back in place and I'm gonna use this, you know, Eric Dyer, this kind of back backup of the backup central defender as my star defender in this game. And it felt very much like he was almost. I, I still can't, for the life of me, try and figure out why he was trying to put these kind of round pegs in a square hole, or, or vice versa. That there's no, there
1: doesn't. I still can't seem to see the logic behind it. Well, I, I do not have such a problem with Dyer because I think clearly, like his best days are probably behind him, um, and he's a very middling centre back at best. But if you can surround him with a bit of pace and you just use him to distribute and the options ahead of him exist, he can be effective. The boy one, I've been more of a problem with, because I think, like you touched on the right, Guerrero is signed as a as a fullback or a wingback, but within the context of a single game, like Guerrero's versatility allows you to be much more agile tactically. Like you can do different things with him because you can push him in field if you need to. You can push him out wide. Fantastic set piece option. I felt like if... I, I felt like the, the, the decision to put boy. In that position in this game kind of irresponsible because you, you've bought a player he hasn't been at a club of this size like what galatasaray is a very large club i understand that but in terms of like a significance a, a significant game within a major league he hasn't played in that kind of on that kind of occasion before and you put him in a situation where he's probably destined to fail against one of the most dynamic teams in european football i feel like whatever your motive that's not the right thing to do because you've you've invested thirty million euros in a player, and all of a sudden you you've kind of hung him out to dry with the fan base. Um, time will tell if that's the case, whether he gets the opportunity to redeem himself. But it was very strange. I, I so much of Tuchel's demeanor is about kind of I'm not sure what the right word is, but he, he's kind of he's so volatile and he's so. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best word, Stefan. Yeah, I, I, it's it's maddening, and and like sometimes he does that thing where at the end of a disappointing performance, he throws his hands up in front of the media and goes, "I don't know why this happened. I don't know why." It did, I remember it, it, him doing that as a Super Cup, and just thinking, "What weird tone to set for this season?" Because he used to do that at Chelsea too, and it's it's strange. I can't. I still don't really understand the logic behind any of it. Um, it it still doesn't make sense. Twenty four hours later.
0: He's he's been a he's been a difficult personality to deal with wherever he's been in his career. I think it's not often been one of his greatest strengths. Um, I wouldn't take that away from him, um, but it can certainly it certainly doesn't look right in terms of the optics. And I I accept that that's not his main concern. He would argue as well that he, he doesn't care, um, but it's not particularly good luck, uh, particularly when you do. But you know, by the very nature of the role, have a quite media facing presence, and you have to deal with the questions. Sometimes it comes off for him. I think back to the game that Seb, me, and you were at in Dortmund earlier this year when Bayern had way with a 4-0 win. And, yeah, Tuchel was justified in vindicating all his decisions. And if anything, he played he played that wrong as well by going overly, you know, so overly offensive and aggressive in his, his media dealings, repeating in about five or six interviews how, don't ask me, ask the experts because you're clearly all idiots. Um, and, yes, yeah, so I'm like laughing in hindsight, but... Um, he was taking a similarly aggressive stance with the with the media yesterday in Leverkusen. I think breaking off breaking off one interview with Sportschau, um by effectively threatening a bet with the reporter regarding uh, the the build up to the opening goal. Now maybe he's got a point because he was you know, the the reporter was I you know Bayern have conceded this sort of goal before and Leverkusen scored this sort of goal before where the ball is played quickly across the box and the the wing back on the far side gets up quickly to provide the extra option. And Tuchel was arguing what you're suggesting you you in that you predicted um, the the number six drifting out the left, firing a ball through the, through Diopamacano's legs to the uh, to the right back on the on the far side. I will bet you've never seen that before. So descended into this really, really um, uh, overly detailed, uh, quite unpleasant argument in front of the press in the middle of an interview where you, where you think who who are you? Who are you really helping here with that with that sort of approach?
1: Matt, did you find it weird that he picked that hill to die on? Because it's like, the first goal is that happens because you've put a player in an unfamiliar role. Really? Like, and boy doesn't react quickly enough and, you know, he's in an awkward position. So that's what you'd expect. That is not the place to pick a fight if you're Thomas Tuchel. Because, like, you're right. Like, the, the circumstances leading up to that are unfamiliar and it's not typical. But, like... Reactive defending depends on players understanding what's around them, and you've asked someone to do something that he's not comfortable doing. It's it's a crazy argument to pick.
0: Absolutely. First of all, there was that first of all, I mean, just to maybe absolve Sasha Bowie from blame as well a little bit, he was to blame for that, but he wasn't the only Bayern yeah. defender who 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 fell asleep um for, from from that throw in. That ball shouldn't be getting that far in the first place. But yeah, he is also a fault for completely losing track of Stanisich. But it also wasn't the only hill that Tugel picked to 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 die on. It seemed to be an almost planned defence was sort all of the Bayern staff and hierarchy post-match that they have actually been really in the game for 15 minutes. You know, different 15 minutes to what I watched. I, mean, I, 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 I even, I, I actually, I, that expression that you've just made, Seb, with, with your eyes, <laughs> I, 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 I made that I made that expression yeah. directly with eye contact to Jan-Christian Dresen, who was the CEO, who was speaking to the press afterwards in the mixer and he made it, he said, oh, 15 minutes, we're actually really, we're really in the game. I looked at him and caught his eye and went, Eh? Uh, what game were you watching? <laughs> but you know, that's why he's the finance man and not uh, not on the touchline. But you know, Tuchel also repeated that line that, oh, we're in the game 15 minutes. If Bayern were, Bayern were in the game for eight minutes, according to my notes, and that only because Leverkusen were slowly finding their way into playing with the back four. That's the only reason. Um, so for Tuchel to pick, to pick these hills to die on, it, it, was, it was strange and not particularly helpful for his own cause. Because we'll get onto it later... As much as he got it running on Saturday, he's not Bayern's big issue at the moment, but that's a bigger topic.
2: Yeah. The interesting thing as well, is um, I previewed this show, uh, this show, previewed this game um, with the excellent schulte um last week and we discussed Tuchel's kind of personality issues and one of the points I made was that the fascinating thing with Tuchel is that he has such an obvious admiration for Pep Guardiola tactically, uh, the way he tries to Maybe hold himself as this kind of um, you know head coach that uh, clubs bring in to build projects around. But the one thing that they can't contrast so starkly with, in my opinion, I mean, Seb, jump in if you disagree because you obviously cover the Premier League a lot more than I do. But Pep, um, in public, bends over backwards to almost avoid confrontation to the extent, you know, if, if 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 this game had happened. Um, you know, uh, for a Pep Guardiola team, he'd come out and say, well, you know what, baylor cousin they're the best, they're the, they're the best team in the world, they're the absolute best. And when uh, the question was asked of Sasha Boy, he say, look, he's, well, he's, he's the best defender there was, the best left, like, he's fantastic, he played really well, he played really, really well. And, you know, there's probably some examples where he does contradict that kind of general rule of thumb, but it's almost like a cliche now in English football that Pep more or less flat up lies on camera. To protect his players in public. Now what happens in the changing room, completely different, and maybe that's where him and Tuchel are very similar. But where um and of course, you could probably argue that Pep's probably had far more comfortable jobs than Tuchel, so uh, you know there's different circumstances there. But I tend I t- to find that when it comes to almost like the PR of being a top class head coach, Guardiola seems to have that more or less tied down. He knows how to avoid these questions, he knows how to avoid falling into the traps that these kind of post-match interviews put on him and it's not easy because we've seen for example Jurgen Klopp falls into him all the time but Tuchel whether out of um, choice or simply because of his personality style he just can't seem to help himself and it seems to mean and it means that he does he gets into these kind of public spats with you know as Matt said in the show you know it's Haman or uh, Lota Mateus but even this season alone, he's basically got into these kind of weird public spats with his own players. Where week to week he's having this constant debate about whether Yosha Kemik's a number six. I just feel like we would never get that with Pep Guardiola. Seb. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm oversimplified it, but it's weird that he has such aberration for Pep. But there's that glaring oversight from Tuco.
1: I feel he's a more emotional human being than Guardiola. Like Guardiola is a person, I think is quite strange. <laughs> uh, I think is Well, he, he is. He's he's quite an odd bloke. No, you're and right. He, he's like he's a little he's, psychotic. He's awkward, so, so diff-
0: the, the, the best coaches are by the very nature. Yeah,
1: it's cool, and it's kind of it, it's a prerequisite, or... really. Like oh. if you're if you're that obsessive and that detail orientated, and I think a lot of I think a lot of the mystique around Guardiola comes from him saying weird things to be weird, and the media interpreting that as some kind of you know as if it has some sort of deeper significance. Like, there's that, you mentioned it, stuff and the trait he has of, like, you know, before he's about to face a team who are really about to get a hammering, he praises them as the very best team that's ever played the game. Like, I remember him doing that to Sarri's Napoli, and uh, I remember him praising Dante all those years ago and saying he wanted, like, a thousand Dantes in his team and he'd never lose a game again. Tuchel, to me, I think one of the problems for him is, unlike Guardiola, who's associated with... Um, an epoch changing football team and style of the game. Like Tuchel's been very successful. Um, Gonna see, he, he nearly took Paris Saint Germain to a, a Champions League title. Can you imagine taking that circus to the top of European football? Like, it's an incredible achievement potentially. On, and so, on crutches as well. What's that? On crutches. On crutches <laughs> as well. Like, so at the same time, though, I don't think kind of he has the same level of gravitas. So when he talks and when he's a bit weird, I think people focus in on the kind of the oddity of it rather than necessarily what they do with Guardiola, which is to kind of lean into the kind of well, he's just he's sort of like a, a slightly opaque genius who's impossible to, in, to comprehend. Um, but it is like I remember I remember when he when he moved to Chelsea, everybody's saying everybody was talking back to kind of the difficulties he's had he'd had politically at Dortmund, some of the difficulties he had at Paris Saint Germain, and thinking you're going to Chelsea really. And you're going to deal with the kind of the the currents in that in that swimming pool, and then Bayern Munich is another deeply political club, and it's it Matt hit the nail on the head. He is not the problem at Bayern, but he's kind of an accelerant, isn't he? Like that personality of his.
0: I wonder if as well he he, he's almost again. This is not to overly defend Thomas Tuchel. I think he he absolutely comes out of this weekend particularly badly for various reasons. Um, But I wonder if he's also a little bit of a victim of the. Yeah, the ongoing, the ongoing switch around at the moment at uh, Bayern, and the, particularly the lack of a one of the lack of a sporting director because he's there, in Christoph Freund, but a sporting director who's still finding his feet, Christoph Freund, uh, who didn't is, appoint him as well. Did, uh, I he didn't appoint him. Yeah, yeah. but also has, t- has taken his time in settling into the role, increasing his visibility and his his, his public sort of persona quite slowly. I've only really seen one. Um, extended interview with him that he did with DAZN in, in Germany recently but perhaps that he's not particularly outspoken publicly as perhaps before him Hassel Sally was um, and, and, pre- and, and previous figures before him again you can debate as to whether that was a good thing for Bayern or not whether Salihamerts is speaking out all the time was a good thing probably not but um, I, I, I suspect that the more uh, potentially more, the more Christoph Freund settles into his public face and as spot director um, to so maybe yeah, maybe he can sort of take on some of the questions which Thomas Tuchel is being um, you know, finding find himself having to field, particularly because Tuchel's still necessarily operating with the team which he would like to have had to put together. Um, there is that mitigating factor still. Um, because by all accounts at least on the training pitch things do seem to be going quite well. Um, Thomas Müller for all his. Um, yeah, pretty explosive comments in his interview. He nevertheless, made a point... And maybe he was just playing politics and saying that on the training pitch, it's fine. His problem's not the coach. He made a point of saying that. Uh, by all accounts, it was okay in training in the week up to the game. Um, But he... For Miller to say it's not the coach's fault, but then to talk about having no freedom to play football, over-complicating things in their heads, not having the freedom to play the way Leverkusen did... Having no fun... That, I felt like that no was fraud. a really telling yeah, comment. Exactly, there. but, that, but that, that isn't indirect. Surely yeah. that's indirectly, even yeah. subconsciously, even Tuchel, of course. It's a it on the environment, yeah. right? Like it's, yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Well, let's this, this, this just dive into this now. We were going to do Alonso, but we'll do Alonso after this because it's probably worth just kind of segueing into this point and talking about Tuchel's situation at barn because there's a lot of talk on social media. We had a lot of Bayern fans in our subscriber chat calling for his head you know bloodthirsty as you would expect from football fans at full time um there was some pictures taken in the, the way grounds or in the stand, i think it was and it, it said correct me if I'm wrong of saying no Tuchel out let's just discuss that in itself you know is basically as, as as Matt mentioned we can hit the nail on the head whichever way we want but you know is this issue Tuchel or is this issue of Bayern um because you know it seems it's, it's always a very very easy thing to say let's just sack the head coach wipe the slate clean and
1: start again but I mean Seb where do you land on this? No what I, I think if you're going to go down the sack the coach pathway like you gotta you gotta have something you gotta have an alternative to propose like okay so you sack the coach and who do you replace him with? Like I saw like Chaiso Mourinho's name mentioned conveniently Mourinho has let it be known that he's learning German he's thinking grow up like <laughs> <laughs> just, Jose Mourinho is is a is a coach for teams who want a bit of an ego stroke. Like you want the big personality. Like the idea of him in that environment is ludicrous, absolutely ridiculous. I, I mean, I'd want to see it because I think weird stuff would happen that we could talk about. But as a practical solution, no, not at all. So, like, what is the option? And also, like,
2: I um, can I just say by the way, I'm firmly on the Mourinho to the Bundesliga bandwagon uh
1: but i agree that maybe munich's not the best place for him well i mean it, it, it's also if we're gonna if you're gonna sack someone you're sacking on the basis that they've built a team and it doesn't work and it's not effective i don't believe that this side is a reflection of the way that thomas tuchel wants to play uh based Fair on right. the teams he's created elsewhere i also have no sense of by munich's dimensions as a football club or what their their five-year strategy is or what? Like, if you the January transfer is a really good example, right? Because you you have shortages in your team, and it feels like previous Bayern Munich would have, previous Bayern Munich hierarchies would have a strategy for who is to fill which position over a long period of time. And what you have instead is Eric Dyer because he's in, he's available. Eric Dyer wasn't good enough to play for Tottenham. I mean, it breaks my heart to say that because I'm a Tottenham fan, but it's true. Uh, wasn't having his contract renewed, so he was conv- he was he was he was low hanging fruit to kind of uh, plug a gap in your in your squad. Uh, Sasha Bui, okay, uh, talented guy, but um, uh, Turkey to to the Bundesliga is a little bit of a jump, um, especially if you're going to shove him straight into the middle of a title decider. Um, Masrawi, not really sold on it. And actually, if you go back a few years and you look at how some of the signings have have been treated and the lack of a tune that the Bayern have been able to get out of them, Graven birch is the one I feel oh, like yeah. that has really delivered on where he was. So, you have all of these moving parts, and the answer to the question cannot be, "Let's have some more fluidity," right? Which is what a new coach is in the abstract sense. That is what you're doing. You're you're, you're saying, right? Well, we're, g- we're going to start again now. We're going to bring something different in and another unknown fact, and we don't know how well it's going to go. And and there's no. You know, if you go back five years and Julian Nagelsmann is doing wonderful things at RB Leipzig, okay, that's a little bit of a different conversation because you've got something interesting to invest in. But there is nothing there that is obviously going to improve Bayern that I can see, at least. I I might be wrong, but there's there's no obvious solution. And that's, that's the question you have to answer before you go down the kind of right uh, tuchel Rouse, which I, for me is very reactionary.
2: Yeah, the, the, the interesting thing is that Tuchel's record for Barn is actually still better than Nagelsmann's. He's, he's averaging 2.3 points per game in the Bundesliga, where Nagelsmann averaged 2.19. Um, I've got an interesting comparison for you here, Matt, which is just going kind to of pop into my head. I was trying to, as I was gathering my thoughts and listening to what Seb was saying and, and thinking about Bayern, and I completely agree with what Seb's saying. You look at the kind of players that they brought in over the last kind of couple of years, how they haven't quite gelled, how they've kind of swung from one type of head coach to another type of head coach to another. Um. all while the kind of spine of that team in my opinion has been a long-term decline for some time whether it's Manuel Neuer um, Leon Goretzka maybe Yosha Kimmich you can make an argument for Serge Gnabry maybe even Alfonso Davies uh, whether that's physical technical or just simply you know he's not he's not he's not interested in playing for Barney anymore it all seems a bit like host ferguson man united to me even but instead of the head coach being the guy who's moved on and left that power shift it's maybe you know the sebastian Hodes or or or, or womaniga or something like that it feels there's a lot of money being spent there's a lot of big stars being brought in but there's not a lot of joint up thinking and as a result we've just kind of got this convoluted mess of superstars in a team that don't look like they're making they're having fun or winning games
0: there's a little bit of a mess, a little bit of insecurity, a little bit of a restructuring going on. Um, I wouldn't, I, I absolutely would not go as far as to compare it to Manchester United post post and That's a that's transforming. Oh, no. no, that's, that's that's, no. Yeah, but that's a that's a circus on a whole other level. Like I said, it's carnival time. It's been carnival in Manchester for ten years. <laughs> Anyway, that's a different topic. Um, yeah, there is a restructuring going to buy in, Absolutely, um, they are looking to move on. We've talked about the restructuring in the hierarchy on several on several podcasts. The movements at the top and how it didn't work with the whole Stanley Hamidzic, Oliver Kahn, um, axes. Now they're re, you know they're they're going again with uh, Jan Christian Bliesen in that role. Potentially Max Abel coming into the sport director or the director of sport role. We, we've talked about that before. Like I said earlier. Christoph Freud still growing into his role as sporting director. All those, um, you know, all those roles. Plus also the role of uh, Michael Nepper, the chief scout. Is he going to take? Is he going to go? All of those issues need to come into place first, I think, before you start demanding uh, Tuchel Raus. And again, I repeat, that's not to say that he's without blame. He absolutely was to blame on on Saturday, for example. Um, if in the meantime, while that restructuring is all going on. But I, I trust Bayern to get it right. They absolutely have farm for it. Uh, Bayern's history is littered with, well, I say littered, two major examples of high-profile failure in 1999 and 2012, followed very shortly later by, you know, era-defining historical success. Um, so I wouldn't write by Munich off completely. Um yeah, they, they, they are in they are in that process of restructuring and if it if that if that means that if for the first time in 12 years Bayern don't win the league or indeed don't win a single trophy it's absolutely not the end of the world. Um, it should have happened last year. if I've been honest and you know that was down to Pulsier Dortmund, that, that it didn't. It's not the end of the world. it doesn't mean that Thomas Fokle is a is a complete failure. It doesn't mean that Bayern's restructuring is com- is completely behind the pace and destined to fail. It, it, the, the draw is very much still out. Um, yeah, I, I would be tempted just to leave the toys in the pram for the time being. I, 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 as tempting as it is, and I, I, I understand the reaction, particularly after Saturday, because they were diabolical uh, on and off the pitch. Uh, the, the reactions of the of the various Bayern officials surrounding the surrounding the game, the performance from the players themselves on the pitch, even the OASA support seemed resigned to the fact that you know, they're they're all singing. Oh, you will you won't win the league. You know, only buy-in will win the league, but they didn't believe it. Um, but if that doesn't happen for one year, it's not the end of the world. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching.
1: Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof.
0: Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.
2: It's playoff time and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. And our partner, BetOnline, is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends and lines. With everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything from the coin toss to the colour of Gatorade. Bet Online is the number one source for your championship wagering. Head to Bet Online, enjoy today to get all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. I might push back on that slightly just because you're absolutely right, of course. We shouldn't be throwing the toys out of pram, and hyperbole is, you know, reserved for. Um, People like us, I suppose, who talk on podcasts and try and get people to listen to them. But you know, if you do, kind of step back and look at this team. Um, you know, they won the league by tripping over the finish line, but it's the lowest points total they've ever picked up since 2011. I checked before we went on air. Um, having got past the quarterfinals of the Champions League since 2020, uh, they look nothing. They don't look anywhere near doing that this season. In fact, a lot of people were predicting they could struggle against Lazio. And you know, yes, they brought in Christoph Freund. They're going to try this new system of bringing in young players. But you know, the reason I've mentioned the Man United comparison is because every single season they just chop and change. You know, one minute it's one minute one Christoph Freund, one minute it's and one minute it's Tuchel. If it's not going to be Tuchel, who 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 comes in next season? Um,
0: but I, but I don't think it has been a um, a regular chopping and changing. There's only actually been two big changes. One of them has been to bring in. The Salihamitric Oliver Kahn axis, and that then failed, and they still won the league, but but has been adjudged to have been a failure, and I, I accept that it wasn't working out. Um, and the second change has been to move on from that. What we have now, so I don't think the argument that they chop and change all the time actually holds. Actually holds water.
2: Yeah, well, I guess the other thing as well is that unlike my United, Bayern can actually afford to just kind of drift for a while, sir, because. You know, for all we love the German football, it's obviously not as competitive as the Premier League, where there's two or three kind of super clubs waiting to kind of step into their hole. Whereas, you know, the club we'll talk about in a moment who are stepping in this season, but the likes of Dortmund and Leipzig haven't been able to take advantage of Dortmund of Barnes kind of malaise over the years.
1: No, no, no. I suppose not. I mean, uh, the one thing I'll add to this is that, like, I feel it's quite interesting the kind of the the conversation around. Harry Kane, in that that in itself represented a little bit of a departure from kind of traditional thinking, go and right, go and break the German transfer record because you can and because this player is available for the, you know, in an unusual situation. Um it's a very um I find it I think quite disheartening to to watch the response to to the situation from back in England because without Kane's form, without the contributions of Lucas Sane, who I think has been really, really good this season for, for much of it, like Bayern are nowhere near Leverkusen. Like, yesterday's game is not even really a title decider. It's a kind of Bayern 10 points back rather than mm. uh, two. Um, and I'm trying to think of it in terms of what it means for the Bundesliga. I mean, like, in terms of how valuable is it for someone like Harry Kane to succeed in Germany, um, to succeed in the Champions League, if he doesn't do that, in this Bayern Munich team, whether it's representative of what they are generally or not, is that quite damaging to German football? I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm posing a question because it's been on my mind since the end of like yesterday's game and because there are so many people who seem to tune into yesterday's game without having watched anything that preceded it or any of the games that preceded it and have just kind of dropped in to have a little bit of a laugh at, at Kane's misfortune and Eric Die. It's, um, it's just an interesting situation. I didn't answer your question in any way at all, Stefan, but it, I, I thought I'd just get that in there. So, right. you chose to just talk about two Tottenham players. It was players, the only which... place that was going to fit. And I had to have my say. I, I, it, but it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. <laughs> like, I've seen Kane come over. I've seen him adapt to Bavarian life really well, embrace living in Germany in a way that English people g- generally don't, um, playing really well. Him also being one of the only reasons that Bayern are actually competitive, in my mind, because I think if you take Kane away and you take Sane away, they have been absolutely awful in so many other different areas of the pitch. Um, and so now you get people kind of turning up in February, five months into the season, and, and judging it on a, on a single 90 minute period. It just it does my head in. It drives me crazy. And yeah, I'm going to provide the segue here for Stefan. The, re-
0: the, the reason is quite simple that he didn't have a touch on, a, yeah. on, on Saturday. It's completely because marginalized. Because Xavier Alonso made yeah. absolutely the right call, one of, one of several bang on calls.
2: Yeah. There, I was, you go, uh, Steph- I, there you go, go. Yeah, I was going to say, we should, there, there <laughs> will be probably everyone who isn't a Bayern fan probably screaming into their phones being like, when are these guys going to talk about Leverkusen? And, and the opportunity is now. The time um, is now. The time is now. And if you allow me some more hyperbole, if let me just sprinkle some more on this episode. Uh, Matt, when I was watching the kind of post-match scenes of the players, the Leverkusen players going over to the Ultras in Leverkusen and, you know, Herdeke in the stand with the microphone and Javi Alonso going over it honestly felt to me a bit like, obviously it was a great moment, it's great advertising for the Bundesliga you know, people will be looking at that and thinking finally here's a team who might challenge Bayern but, even if you just kind of narrow it into those football fans in that stadium, what a moment, what a historical moment, you know, they, they might not go on and win the title, they might do a typical Leverkusen thing, but at least everyone there that day will be able to say, "I remember 15 years ago when Xabi Alonso was a head, head coach here. The whole world was watching, and we absolutely thumped Bayern Munich. We made that. We made Bayern the recordmeister look like the most the most average team in Germany. That to me felt like something worth celebrating, not just for Leverkusen but for the Bundesliga itself.
0: Whatever happens by the end of the season, something changed last night in Leverkusen. I've I've been living in this part of Germany for almost eight years. Um, I go to watch Bayer Leverkusen very very regularly. Admittedly, and with respect to Leverkusen, often for the opponents than for Bayer Leverkusen themselves, and I, I freely admit that. Uh, which doesn't you know doesn't excuse the fact that Leverkusen themselves also have often played very you know absolutely spectacular attacking football. You know, they just don't defend. So it's always been a good laugh watching Bayer Leverkusen. It's been, it's been entertaining. However, I've also been there in empty stadiums, half-empty Europa League group stage games. Leverkusen is, yeah, it's sandwiched in between Cologne and in between Dusseldorf, in between Schalke, Mönchengladbach, Dortmund. Doesn't play a big role. It really doesn't. Um, something, I, 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 something changed last night. I've never heard, I've never heard an atmosphere like that of uh, by Leverkusen. I've never heard noise like it. I wanted to ask Javier Alonso in the press conference if that if he sensed a change if something had changed and i couldn't ask the question because the press room was too full and i didn't have a microphone because there were one because there were 160 accredited journalists and like i've never seen that i've been you should going to give Telecusen some context years. matt for people who
2: <laughs> don't know the trade like how many you think they usually are at those kind of games
0: i mean i'd suggest
1: maximum 30 yeah, last time I was there, 40, if there were more than thirty. Maybe. I'd be amazed.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, walk, I, I walked into the, the the media, and again, I know little violins out. I walked to the media center at one and a half hours before kickoff. I couldn't get I couldn't get a seat to sit down. So uh, it was absolutely rammed. Um, I've never seen anything like. And then the there was a different the whole different. Even before kickoff, there was a different atmosphere around the place. I was reading in the uh, the fanzine that the that the Ultras brought out and they had their introduction. You know, this is a time for a changing of the guard. It's quite—it's obvious to anyone. We're the best team in this league. This is time to show it. German football needs it. We need it. Our city needs it. And if anyone's going to do it, why not us? You know, and the the city responded. The I, I glanced—you know—in the other direction after the goal of the 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 Nordkurva, the terrace behind behind the goal, and there were bodies dressed in carnival suits, so different Marvel characters and Disney characters and animals and stuff flying everywhere. I've never heard i never heard noise like it something something changed last night there's there's some belief that this is this is possible yeah I
2: saw a few ready rollers in the crowd last night not just the one sitting next to Eileen um <laughs> due to Carnival Seb I, I, I honestly don't think we could praise enough the tactical kind of victory that we saw here from Alonso of course we talked about how you know Tuchel kind of made a lot of errors in this and his setup, and you know how Bayern maybe shot himself in the foot, but equally when we saw that starting eleven for Leverkusen, and the fact that you know there's no there's no striker in the team, Adley's playing up front, Tell is in for Frimpong, um, you know Andriks in there instead of obviously Palacios is out injured and things like that. I honestly thought, oh, you know, no, this, this we've we've seen this so many times before. You know, a last minute injury to the kind of title hope. Uh, contenders and it all comes crumbling down it's almost always Dortmund it's almost always revolves around the half-fit Jude Bellingham or Erling Haaland being rushed back from some sort of surgery never quite works out but in this case it was actually Xabi Alonso you know playing some sort of tactical masterclass and clearly looked at how Barn have played this season and thought well I could stick Patrick Schick in there I could try and park my team on the Bayern box like I've done with every other team uh, as I've done against every other opponent this season but instead I'm going to play the quick players I'm going to use Florian Verts to play off them um, and they had so much success from it didn't they
1: yeah there were there were a couple of moments when particularly in the first half when Adley went through on goal and he, he didn't take his chance but you thought like his pace in itself just seemed to rattle and disturb Bayern um, straight away like I really like the way that yes like teller pray played predominantly from the right but like i, I really liked his influence through the middle um and there were little things all over the the, the lineup like i know that Eben that sober likes to play as a left-sided center back in a three rather than a two and obviously he's playing on the right initially when they're in a four to start with and he played very very well um granite jack we've talked about an awful lot just his orchestrating work and how valuable is he is to the side i thought andrich was superb um like Given the kind of what his limitations are perceived to be as a player, um, I thought he was extremely effective in the middle of the pitch. Um, And Verts, I wrote on Twitter before the game, X, sorry, before the game. In fact, I'm not doing that. I wrote on Twitter, not X, that my main hope was to see Florian Verts show what a good player he is when so many new people he probably wouldn't watch German football week to week were watching. Um, And... I feel like Alonso's great success was to put enough width into his side to allow Verse to dominate the middle of the pitch and play and orchestrate and playmake in the way that you know he can do. And he looked, the highest highest, um, compliment I can pay him is that he looked like one of those interior players that Guardiola used at Barcelona. It looked like an Iniesta type uh, on Saturday night. I thought he was absolutely sensational. And such a great story because I when you suffer an injury as serious as he did at that age, and you're a player who, because of the way he carries the ball, he invites contact so often um, that he's come back as a better player and has continued to evolve into what I think is, how he's going to be worth, um, goodness knows what, um, by the time he eventually leaves Leverkusen. But just a wonderful performance. And creating the platform for him to operate within and really just a dice up Bayern was was Alonso's sort of um, great success. Uh, And yeah, there's so many different things that go into that. But then, it's interesting you bring up the Dortmund thing because, like, you always feel those Dortmund games. Like you said, they relied on um, all the kind of the, the variables falling on Dortmund's side. So Bellingham being fit, for instance, or like uh, not having to drop Emery Chan in, into a centre half position. All these little things. And if you look at Leverkusen, if you look at the side the Leverkusen um, sent out, there's all sorts of obstacles that Alonso had to navigate. Half fit players. He lost fring pong a few few weeks ago to, to that injury. He hasn't quite been fit since. I know he came on, but he hasn't quite been the same since. Um, uh, Tell has been integrated. Stanisic has become really important. Like these little things that are that in another coach's hands um, become speed bumps. Haven't and yeah, it's uh, it was really nice to see because like you you couldn't help but have that sinking feeling when you when you saw the kind of the pieces drop out. Boniface having to have go off to Afcon, um, Casona going out go off to Afcon as well, because I to be honest, like we, we haven't even mentioned him and he's one of the best players of the first three or four months of their season. Absolutely fantastic. Um so just great success and and huge, like um a great moment for the Alonso brand, if that's not too much of a horrible uh phrase to use, just because it shows kind of his uh I suppose his agility as a coach.
0: No, he's turned he's turned negatives into into positives. Yep. Like you
1: said, the, the the
0: the big question before Christmas was how at Leverkusen could deal with some of the African Cup of Nations absentees, and they had that sort of dress rehearsal game against against he Bothell, where, where he yeah yep. he, he intentionally left them all out, and they still won 4 nil for one for it. Um, and yet he's yet yeah, he's turned them into positives. Um, the fact that he was I say fast in inverted commas to start with. No out-out striker in Adley and, and Teller. yeah, had that double effect. First of all, obviously provided that issue with pace on the break that Bayern have, and that did prove to be an issue. But as you said, Seb also opened up space for Vert to do whatever he wanted in midfield. So he had that double positive. So he's turned one, yeah, you know, what you think is a negative on paper into two double positive effects. Um, yeah, g- genius coaching. I I did wonder before the first goal whether. Leverkusen were going to pay for the lack of clinicalness yeah me too um, The perhaps Schick would have brought or Boniface had he been fit would have brought because a couple of chances did go begging when I think first of all uh, Teller capitalising that Epomecano uh, mistake and then the, the chance went begging uh, Adley in the build to the goal obviously Epomecano got back and managed to clear uh, but obviously immediately after that, they've taken the lead and the, the game changes. But I did wonder whether they're a little bit profligate in the first sort of 15, 15 20 minutes. But um, yeah, obviously, yeah, didn't prove to be an issue in the long term.
1: I wonder if like, because one of the things, that I, I, I love uh, the range of Boniface's like contribution. Like you can drop him into a number 10 role and he does pretty creative things with the ball. I wouldn't say he's the most clinical player in, in front of goal. Like he's he's someone that will have a few chances before he scores. But then maybe that conditions you as a side to think, okay, well, we just keep creating, keep creating. We're not going to live and die off that one chance that we need to take. And you know, that it's over. I'm only like, Boniface probably should have won the game in Munich, um, back in, back in September, or so, August, September, whenever it was like, he had a couple of chances where like, I think a player who'd been at the club a little bit longer probably wouldn't have snapped into the chance that he did. But yeah, like, uh, it's just a great footbling performance. Like if you if you look at the sort of the, the construction of the goals, they all come from slightly different situations. Obviously, the third one is an anomaly, um, a wonderful one, like just ridiculous. But um, both goals are completely different. And actually, like to to take it full circle, like for Tuchel to say, "Well, no one saw the goal coming from there." Well, yeah, but then that's the virtue of it, isn't it? Because all your your chance creation becomes quite organic to the point where you don't have like, these circuits in your football. These mechanisms that you fall back on again and again and again to create chances you you kind of ad hoc your way through it because you have enough gifted footballers on the pitch at the same time and that's... And that, is
0: a, that is exactly what Thomas Muller was complaining exactly about that. in his interview post post when he was complaining about having that, yeah, somehow in their Circuit heads football. that mental lack of freedom to be able to play, whether that is down to players on the pitch or in you know, subconscious dig at at Tuchel as we said, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting comment it's just thought as well that that third goal when, when Frimpong has it on on the right i can't maybe it's not too big a too big a deal because they were already 2-0 down it's the fifth minute of injury time but manuel Neuer's is walking back jogging. He, so he's certainly not sprinting uh some you know, there were several buying players who were sprinting manuel Noya wasn't among them
1: and i was just yeah you know, i thought really like that before pong
0: hits it for yeah, felt yeah I felt like felt the guy going the corner um, yeah.
1: like I was having a conversation with someone earlier today where I said, Well, if you're a Bayern Munich goalkeeper, like, and, or if you're a Bayern Munich player and you know the club's history, you understand that weird stuff happens, like, in short periods of time at the end of games. And, you know, ultimately, when full time goes, you've won because you're a Bayern Munich player. I get it from that perspective, but it felt like a kind of him inserting himself into the game.
0: I found it a bit late. Yeah. When I saw him go up, it's I bit thought, weird. Uh, if this was maybe three or four minutes earlier. Yeah. Now it seems a bit pointless, and then also be said he goes up for the header with Jonathan Tarr and loses it outright. Absolutely no chance. Jonathan Tad does absolutely, absolutely does it. even clears the ball with so easy, such ease. He was also a great finish. He, yeah. he was also incredibly
2: composed the entire game. He, he has a few passes he hits straight out of the pitch when he's trying been to fight his way yeah, back. Yeah. I feel Stefan. Yeah. yeah, 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 it's, it's yeah absolutely. I think you could
0: even. And yeah, I wonder just to be defend Noir a little bit. Yeah, you're right. He has been a bit dodgy, dodgy since he came back from injury. But then again, and maybe it's not the best comparison. I've just been watching United on Sunday evening now and Onana's doing you know, making the same issues. I wonder if it's a bit of a a general footballing thing of goalkeepers being forced to play out from the back all the time. And it's all like little set-piece situations where the goalkeeper's waiting and you've got two or three forwards waiting to press and they're having to find that set-piece way out. Yeah, maybe just a little bit of defence for Noya there. But yeah, some of his passes were absolutely wayward.
2: Just to bring it back to Leverkusen before we wrap up, um, I, the only things I wanted to add as well was that to add to what you said, Sam, about the brilliance of Florian Verz, um, in that first game, actually, the thing that I really took away from that was that, of course, Bayern kind of sucker-punched them at the start with that Harry Kane goal, which, you know, you've never scored an easier goal than that, but as the game went on, I felt like Leverkusen were controlling the game more and more and more. As you said, Boniface could have won it, but the thing that really stood out to me was that Florian Wurz just had the absolute freedom of that Bayern half for large chunks of that game, and that was obviously when we we're in the midst of Joshua Kimmich is not a number six, he's a new defensive midfielder, and that was clear for all to see. and Going into this game, you know, I was I was saying that this game will be won or lost on whether Bayern have learned that lesson and whether they have some way of stopping Florian Wurz and admittedly, when I saw Eric Dyer in the lineup, I thought, okay, he's going to play Dyer as that kind of holding midfielder, and, you know, he's not the best player in the world, but that is his trade. His trade is to be the player at the base of midfield and kind of get in the way of those passes and things. Obviously didn't work out at all, and again, Verts just... And now, this isn't just because Bayern were poor, it's obviously because he's such a brilliant player, and he's such an outstanding exploiter of space, if you will, but he just had so much space in this game time and time and time again, and you know, there's a lot of people... The, 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 the natural comparison to Chabal to Musiala, it was right there in front of us all and two different players and two different circumstances, obviously. But where where Musiala had been completely crowded out by a really impressive Leverkusen defence, Bayern, almost just to the point of neglect, just completely almost ignored the fact that Florian Wurz was just drifting in and out of that final third with no one keeping an eye on him at all.
1: Yeah, I felt a little bit sorry for Musiala because I feel like... Uh, they're not quite the same player in my mind. Like they're, they're, they do different things to an extent, but like they're an example. Their form at the moment and the season generally is an example of what happens when, you know, depending on what's happening around you. So, like Leverkusen brought a really well-oiled group of players into that side. A lot of players who are playing right at the top of their form. Uh, we've mentioned some of the absence uh, absentees, but um, Grimaldo, Jacka, uh even Nathan Teller after a few games. Um, these are players playing the best football of their career. Wurtz um, has every reason to to kind of be included there as well um, Jonathan Tarr his, his kind of renaissance has been an amazing thing actually uh, under Alonso that's been one of the the, the, the great stories at um, Leverkusen Musiala like what is from a Bayern Munich perspective what is the uh what is the dynamic that you trust within that team what is the thing that you expect to see to work really really well like there isn't really a thing there like there are there's sort of fragments of footballing chemistry between uh, Sane and Kane, and um, when he was in the side, Davis and Kane. Um, but the entire year has been built around let's try this guy here, and we're not we're going to have an argument about what this player does and what his role can be and what his limitations are. And when you chuck a Messiana into that and expect him to be a difference maker, maybe you get away with it against Darmstadt, or maybe a, a kind of um, I was going to say Dortmund. (laughs) Sorry, Stefan, I saw your face. I'm going to do it to you. (laughs) Um, You get my point, though. Like, the two two players. Yeah, but they're two players who exist in entirely different situations at the moment. And you're kind of, like, versus profits, Missiala suffers. uh, And, like, if ever a game proved it, it's kind of Saturday, unfortunately, for Missiala, who I, I felt like, again taking the aim at the people who dropped into the Bundesliga for the first time all year and had a go at Marciano and kind of um, dismissed him as a myth no he's a fantastic footballer every bit as good as Florian Verts in my mind and will have every bit as bright a future but in a team at the moment which just doesn't suit him
2: Yeah, which I guess brings us back to Thomas Tuchel which we've already covered so uh, Matt any final parting uh, pearls of wisdom uh, before we wrap
0: things up uh, no, just the the look the look going forward. I think, is where we're Leverkusen go now. You we know, have thirteen games to go, five points clear. Um, still a trillion really long way to go. Thirty nine points to play for. My very dodgy maths is correct. Um, and yeah, history perhaps speaks against them because of you know the the, the history of two thousand and two and you know acquiring that moniker of Neverkusen and, and, and never having won the Bundesliga before anyway, being in a completely new position that all speaks against it you know, can they now deal with that pressure, it's going to be week in week out now, it's going to be always like a countdown almost, like, you know, at, at what point can they make it certain at what point can they win it Um, they've also got you know, two other fronts to keep fighting on, still in the you know, in the German Cup, in the semi-final against uh, Dusseldorf in the Europa League which I, where I suspect that Alonso will want to make good that semi final defeat to, to Roma last year as well. So it might depend on where, you know, where key Europa League fixtures fall in comparison to, to key Bundesliga fixtures around that. Um on the other hand, on you know, current form, I can't think of a single Bundesliga team who's gonna who's going to trouble them. Uh you think on, on certain form the trip away to Dortmund is a troubles is is a problematic one. Um, Dortmund have had well, their actual, you know, actual better performances this weekend—the win against Freiburg. I can, you, you can potentially see a situation there where that's a that's a, a stumbling block. Having said that, though, so many things are in Leverkusen's favor now that weren't in Borussia Dortmund's favor, particularly given the size of the club, and that's where them being a lot smaller than Dortmund plays into their hands. There isn't that there isn't that intense local pressure, let alone intense nationwide or even global pressure. Um, which Brussy Dortmund might have felt. There's not that pressure of having been challenges to to buy in for the past five or six, seven years and find finding to do it. That that Leverkusen don't have that pressure. There's no intense media spotlight on Bayern Leverkusen. If you want to read any top interviews or exclusive stuff about Leverkusen, you don't, there is no base. There is no dedicated Leverkusen newspaper. You, all everything appears in the in in, in the Cologne or Dusseldorf press. Um, Leverkusen absolutely do have. A dedicated, very community-based hardcore support. Of course, it exists. It absolutely, does exist. Um, but it's nowhere near on the scale of what surrounds Borussia Dortmund or Schalke or Cologne or Gladbach. So they don't have. They won't. Not, they won't to deal with it with any of that. They can operate in a calm environment, keep doing their thing, away from the spotlight, from week to week. And I think it speaks ultimately in very much in their favor. Yeah,
2: I think there's the temptation to draw comparisons last season where Dormund obviously kind of surged to the f- to the front of the queue and then tripped up for the final spot but I guess uh, the difference here maybe and maybe it's not a difference, maybe this is the same last year but as much as I can see Leverkusen dropping points this season I just feel like Bayern are more than capable of dropping more, I think that's the difference between Bayern of three or four years ago and this Bayern team, you always get there's, there's always been clubs who have pulled ahead at certain points of the season but there's, there was always an inevitability that Bayern would get their house in order and just blitz the rest of the season. I just don't get the impression that Bayern are going to be able to kind of tighten the ship and wait for because to drop points to capitalise on it.
1: 100%, because that, that's the assumption, isn't it, that Bayern I mean, are going to run the table. I, mean, I, I can't see that happening at all. Also, that British Dortmund side last season was an individual-led team, like... You know the ten of his performance were dictated by high performing individuals whereas leverkusen are a system-based site, yeah they have really influential players within that but they are about the system as sat and i proved and so like an injury a lack of fitness uh being stretched by uh demands of like continental and cup football it's not going to impact them in quite the same way either so like i i can't like either the Dortmund game is tricky when they go there that of course it will be That will be an occasion and it's something to look forward to you, but uh, I don't know where they're going to drop five points, and I don't expect. You know, I I, I think they'll have to drop more than that for Bayern to catch them, um, and I don't see where that's going to happen. So um, I'm not going to tempt fate by saying it's done. But um, they're they're not just a favorite now; they're a heavy heavy favorite.
0: Yeah. just if I can well, of, t- uh, finish with a quick analogy, I think if last season was two two Tartars going racing uh, for the finish, falling fantasy. over each other, yeah. yeah. <laughs> This, this this season, um, yeah, it really is a case of the tortoise and the, the hare, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Is, that, is um, it a hare? I think it is that.
2: a hare. Yeah, hair. yeah but ha- in, yeah. in that analogy, the tortoise wins, so <laughs> I'm
0: yeah. not quite
1: sure who's good. Oh, who. good point. The, the, hare, yeah. the hare gets cocky, yeah. like it just, it stops <laughs> and it, like, it has something to eat, has a bit of sleep yeah. and, you know. Good point. I've not you know, thought that
0: through, but yeah, the yeah. plucky
1: little bar in Munich just keeps going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, uh, the Bundesliga title race might not be done, but this podcast is done uh, as we approach the hour mark. And uh, I've already used up far too much of these good gentlemen's time on a Sunday evening. So uh, I think we'll probably call it there, lads. Um, thank you so much for joining once again, Seb. It's always a pleasure. And Matt as well. Uh, so it's was great having you guys on the show. Uh, Manu will be back this week. The regular scheduled programming will be back. Uh, don't worry. I've read your hate mail. Don't worry. He will be here soon. Um, I will be passing on the torch back to him. Um, no, nothing, nothing of the sort. But yeah, it's great to have Manu back. Um, and yeah, as True always, cool. uh... Manu <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: as always, Manu, uh,
2: as always, please do consider subscribing if you guys want to uh, read our newsletters, um, bonus shows to boot. Uh, and yeah, until next time, uh, I guess I'll use Manu's fated words by saying, "Alfie design."